KRCL 90.9 FM, HD1, Salt Lake City, Ogden, Provo, 96.7 FM in Park City, and on the web at krcl.org. The Adopt-A-Native Elder program gathers food, clothing, and medicine donations for Navajo elders living traditionally on the land. To learn more about the nonprofit and its 33rd annual Navajo Rug Show and Sale online November 11th, visit anelder.org. Support for Radioactive on KRCL comes from our sustaining members and Mark Miller Subaru. Welcome to Radioactive, a show for grassroots activists, community builders, punk rock farmers, and DIY creatives. I'm Laura Jones. Thanks for plugging into your community tonight with me during Radioactive. Coming up on the show, two Ogdenites will be joining me to talk about their grassroots movement to save Union Station in Ogden. They're worried that the city's revitalization plans in the area may come at the expense of the historic exhibits in that train depot. Ranking the dignity of campaign messaging with Tammy Pfeiffer of the Dignity Index later this hour. I spoke with her earlier today about this pilot project here in the Beehive State that's rating public messages from Utah's federal Senate and House races. But you can also take a dignity pledge when it comes to political discourse yourself. Do you know where your ballot is? Radioactive's election coverage continues as we talk the ins and outs of midterm elections on the local front with Aaron Alberti of Axios SLC. And let's do some rallies and resources and get started with the voting reminder, shall we? You go to krcl.org, click on Community Affairs. There is a Go Vote tab with all the important information. November 1st was the last day to request a replacement ballot. And what is today? November 3rd. You've got to call your county clerk, go into early voting, go on Election Day, ask for a provisional ballot. We do have same-day voter registration. It's a provisional ballot. You need to bring ID, and all that info is at vote.utah.gov. Next Tuesday, General Election Day, folks, and uh, you want to make sure your ballot is postmarked by Monday, November 7th. And I mentioned this earlier with eBay. You know, go in and see it postmarked. Don't just drop it in a box, especially after end of business and think it's going to get postmarked, folks. I always like the sticker, and uh, we're going to talk about the sticker with Aaron, too. But on the Go Vote page at krcl.org, there's a bunch of voter guides and some other election information. There's also the ACLU of Utah voter complaint forms, should you feel you have some issues going on. All right, under the Rallies and Resources tab at Community Affairs, there's some items for you to check out. In particular, don't forget Daylight Savings Day. Sunday at 2 a.m., you're going to fall back. Just remember that's going to happen to you. And then on the 10th, it is Music Meets Movies with KRCL. Rumble, the Indians who rock the world. It's a great movie. I'm thinking it's going to be pretty popular. So get there at 6.30 when doors open and ticket sales start for our screening. One screening only at Brewies. Second West, 677 South in downtown Salt Lake. It is 21 plus, by the way. Friday, November 11th is Veterans Day, and veterans, part of those being honored during the Salt Lake Community College Round Dance from 5 p.m. to midnight at the Redwood Road campus of Salt Lake Community College. Just look for it at the Lifetime Activity Center. Also, Friday is one of the U.S. National Parks Service Waiver Days. Entry fees to all parks on November 11th waived. You can find more details online at krcl.org under the Rallies and Resources tab. 
which is under Community Affairs. Joining me now from Axios SLC, we have Erin Alberti. Hi, Erin. How you doing? Good. How are you? Not bad. Now, I do want to mention your partner in journalism over there. Tell us about Kim. Oh, Kim Bajorka. She's awesome. Um, she has. She's been in Utah. She's from here. She grew up here. Um, she's been in journalism way back to uh, um, Utah Valley University mm -hmm. and she was at the SAC B for a while. She did report for America. She was at the Tribune with me for a bit, and now we are writing the Axios Salt Lake City newsletter. And you're the Pulitzer Prize-winning journalist, I believe I can say, right? <laughs> yes. Uh, <laughs> for your work on uh, sexual assault and uh, that broad topic at the Trib, and continuing, I'm guessing, with some of that, too, at Axios. But we're here to talk about elections, midterms. And you and I, before we cracked the mic, said we both like getting the sticker on Election Day, right? I do. I mean, I, I know during COVID, I went ahead and mailed in my ballot, but... They put stickers in there one they year. They did. That was exciting to me, and I wondered if that was going to be a thing, but <laughs> I don't think that it is this year, so... I don't like to push it off too late, but I'm on the fence as to whether I'll go to the polls yeah. or drop my drop my ballot. In well, the it might be box. some research to see if anybody's watching the ballot drop box, right? Yeah, I mean, we do try to hit some of the polling places, see what's going on. If we, you know, if we're hearing anything about places getting hectic, I, I don't know if that's too likely this year um, compared to like 2016, which you know was the last time that everybody was kind of out of the polls. But um, obviously, we have mail by mail voting yeah. everywhere in Utah for any elections. So that is actually kind of a rarity yeah. in red states. And that's something we reported on earlier this week. And we're going to dig into that. But uh, let's go into your voter guide, which you published not too long ago, October 24th. And as uh, for the uninitiated, Axios SLC, describe your outlet for folks. So our main publication uh, and the way most people are reading us is through a newsletter that we email out daily around 6.30 in the morning, um, Monday through Friday. And uh, we are known for smart brevity. That's the writing style that everyone at Axios uses. Basically, the, the effort is and the rule is and our, our goal is always to deliver the news in a way that allows you to stay informed with the kind of issues and events and what's happening around the community, both fun stuff and serious stuff, but that we do it in a way that doesn't waste your time and doesn't insult your intelligence. Okay. And then you have some fun stuff like your pomegranate, which we will cycle back to before we're done. <laughs> but with a voter guide, what was your approach, given I'm sure some of the coverage you've done through the course of your career at uh, a daily like the Tribune? Um, what is the smart brevity in your voter guide this time around? I mean, a lot of times we're trying to sort of get the gist of the central points of tension between the two candidates in races that are competitive, um, you know, or that, the, you know, the consequences, you know, could be interesting depending on what the platforms of the candidates are. We don't we don't do every single race. Um, we kind of focused on uh, for locally, we focused on a handful of races in Salt Lake County, a handful of um, state uh, legislature races. Obviously, we are like everyone else, uh, attentive to the st the U.S. Senate race, um, which is the kind of the the biggie of the year. But of course, there are so many local elections yeah. that could um, really change, you know, the the way things look and mm -hmm. 
and feel and the lean of things in Salt Lake County and elsewhere in the state. So it's the Axios SLC voter guide, but these um, congressional races are really for everybody out there, folks. So we'll put a link in the show notes so you can well, check out the voter guide. Our, our U.S. congressional races, all roads lead to Salt, Salt Lake, Lake City. City. Our, well, the, it's, all of our dividing points are here. Yeah, it's not only one of the hottest races in Utah, but in the country. And that's one of the ways that um, Evan McMullen, independent, is telling himself that he'll be the mansion of the Senate if he's elected. And Mike Lee um, is... Uh, it's an interesting it's interesting to watch the incumbent and some of the ads that have been coming out so parsing a lot of that you don't necessarily dive into it but you help folks with links uh to debates as well as some of the campaign information um how do you want folks to use voter guides in terms of your not just your newsletter base but folks in general aaron is it a reporter forever i think that you know i mean one to find the races that are that apply to you as a voter, the ones that you might actually be voting in. But I think also to kind of just be able to, being able to see, you know, in one kind of swoop through the page, what the patterns are and what some of the trends are, what some of the big issues are in a lot of different races. Um, and this year, you know, especially in some of the local elections, we see a number of races where um, the Republican candidate is maybe farther right than would previously have been the case in a quite a purple county. Um, and, you know, there are other races around the state that are interesting for similar reasons. Um, I think that the, the Davis County uh, State House race um, uh, between uh, Trevor Lee and Steve Handy. Steve is, Handy's a write-in. Is interesting, right. I mean, both of them Republicans, but, um, you know, the the much farther right candidate is the one on the ballot and so Steve Handy um who used to, to have the seat yeah trying to trying to keep the seat with uh, with a write-in campaign um there's this one isn't doesn't stand to go farther right really because uh, Phil Lyman is about as far right as you go in Utah mm -hmm. but his challenger Davina Smith the Democrat um has you know, potentially a better shot at winning the seat than Democrats previously have had. Is that because A, she's a woman, B, she's indigenous? I think that the, I mean, the biggest reason that it's seen as more competitive is that the district lines were redrawn. Mm -hmm. And so it now includes Emory County. It includes Moab. I'm not sorry, Emory County, Grand County. It includes Moab, which is um, one of the bluer counties in the state. So um, they're is sort of an infusion of blue voters. There's also, um, you, you know, the shape of some of the tourist towns, not just mm -hmm. Moab, but also Kanab. Um, people have been moving there that yeah. are more left-leaning. So um, That's the area where we saw boundaries redrawn, and for the first time in San Juan County, to... Uh, indigenous folks getting on the council, whereas before it was uh, the other way. Right, and and Phil Lyman used to be on the council. Um, now he's in the legislature, and the way that the yeah the way that his district has been redrawn, it just makes it a little bit more competitive. Also, um, be, I think with that change, Democrats have been funding uh, Davina pretty heavily. She's far outraised Phil mm -hmm. Lyman who of course is like a mainstay in San Juan County. Like yeah. that, that is a very familiar face there. Mm -hmm. um, so he, he brings a lot of name recognition, but there's, 
kind of an interesting campaign going on there that's more competitive than it has been before. You also point out a ballot measure in Salt Lake City that uh, would support projects from Salt Lake City's public lands master plan, reimagine nature, and would raise oh property taxes about 54 bucks on the median price. Salt Lake City home, that's something to be informed about when you go and vote. But this is one really caught my eye in your voter guide, and that's the Alpine School District. What's happening down there? It's so confusing. Like, I, <laughs> I spent so long trying to kind of figure out, is there an ideological or partisan angle here? And it's not entirely clear to me that there is. But basically, this is Orem, right? So Alpine School District is like northern Utah County, which is a very large and fast-growing part of the state. And Orem, um, which is part of the Alpine School District, is looking at breaking apart from Alpine, from the district. Um, the people who want to do this say that the schools in Orem aren't getting as much investment as the others in the district. They're, they're worried that they're going to get lost in the shuffle as this district keeps getting bigger and bigger. Because there's like, you know, if you kind of go out by... Um, y- y- kind of from Lehigh over to Eagle Mountain, it's all growing really fast. And so as more and more families come in, is the district going to be able to keep growing to accommodate that? Those are some of the concerns. And who gets the money where it gets spent in the district? We saw that happen with, was it Granite and Canyons, I believe, when Canyons split off years ago? So those questions within the district with families concerned about where the money gets spent can be a motivation for splitting off from the school district. Right. Though I feel like with the canyons and granite thing, that was a pretty, there there was more of like an economic divide and more of a distinction like where it's like, is this, is the story um, that the rich people kind of want to hoard the money in their own district. Um, There's that kind of firmer east-west thing going on there. Um, In this case, there, the opposition is also worried about money. Yeah. Basically, they're worried that they can't really fund their own school district, that it's just going to be too expensive to to create that whole kind yeah. of administrative infrastructure. Um, so is, are they going to end up paying more? And will the schools actually improve for them under that plan? And they're, it's, it's interesting because when you kind of look at, you know, just the social media communities around this issue, there's like so much passion but all of the arguments are this kind of nitpicky, like, well, what number's really true? Are we going to pay more? Are we going to pay less? Yeah. Um, so it's just kind of a surprising controversy, but it'll be an interesting one to watch. I mean, Alpine School District is huge. Like, it's, I mean, it, it's just immense. It, it, it's far bigger than any other district in the state. So really? the decisions that they make, like, do have kind of a ripple and, yeah. you know, like, they affect a whole lot of children. So why Utah is the only deep red state that loves mail-in voting? We alluded to this just a, a bit ago, but I've always thought that was interesting when I look at kind of conservative messaging in politics. It's don't trust the mail-in vote, but we've had it here for more than a decade, I think, and, and uh, so it's supported by a super red state. It is supported strongly. I mean, the latest polling... Um, that came out showed that it was close to 90% support. And the thing that was really interesting about that polling to me was that 
there wasn't a very big difference between Democrat support and Republican support. Mm -hmm. It was like 88% of Republicans versus 92% of Democrats or something yeah. like that. I can't remember the exact, close. but it was really High similar. School. Like in so much other polling, you see um, support for um, kind of easier ballot access being much more supported by Democrats than by Republicans. And that doesn't really seem yeah. to be the case yet here. Everybody got on board early with early voting and same-day voter registration. Well, so. and I believe that they adopted it um, voluntarily, too, because, like, it, it was something that, you know, mm -hmm. counties initially had yeah. the option to. So maybe it was the fact that it spread by local choice that people feel more yeah. attached to it. I don't know. That's the Utah way. Well, they're on board. There is, I mean, there are some vocal opponents to it. I mean, we just mentioned Phil Lyman um, out of out of San Juan County down in, in southeast Utah um, had previously uh, sought a, a bill to not have mail-in voting anymore. That failed. It failed pretty quick. It didn't really seem to have that much of a mm -hmm. shot with the polling support and like the num the percentage of people who avail themselves of mail-in voting. Yeah. I mean, last time in 2020 when there was all this heat around it, it people still basically mostly went and mailed yeah. in their ballots. Well, and we're hearing in the news coverage that I listen to and kind of monitor that uh, ballots are slow and trickling in here as we come up to election day. And of course, the more you have to process an election day, the longer it takes to get the results. So uh, that's going to be interesting come Come Tuesday, November 8th. Folks, um, something else that you can help Axios do is find Salt Lake City's power players, from politics to athletes to, I don't know, your favorite radio host? I don't know. What are you looking for, and what's the, going on with this? So, yeah, we are, um, all of uh, the cities that are, are operating local newsletters with Axios are doing this. Um, we are asking readers, kind of anybody we can stumble into and get their attention <laughs> to tell us who they think are the significant power players of Salt Lake City, um, Salt Lake County. And honestly, we are interested in what people think about Utah, too. I mean, obviously, the way that our, our population is in the state, like there's a lot of concern. You know, people in Salt Lake have a lot of concern about what's going on in the rest of the state and vice versa. Um, but yeah, we want to know who you think has really made a difference in the community this year. Um, it could be good difference or bad difference, and it can be in you know whatever field you find interesting. I mean, maybe there's you know somebody in food and restaurants that's changing the landscape where you're at. Maybe there is um, oh a religious figure. <laughs> we got a handful of fairly significant ones here. Yeah. Um, maybe there's a political figure. Maybe there's somebody who entertains. Uh, act, you know, an activist. Uh, somebody a philanthropist, whatever. Cool people. Yeah, interesting people. Well, hey, they don't have to be cool. <laughs> Just up to something interesting. Yeah, as long as they're doing something interesting and that they've really made a difference, um, you know, there's there's so many different avenues. I mean, I'm, I, I'm sure if I went down to, uh, down Lee Highway, I'd be getting a lot of uh, tech players, you yeah. know, but we just kind of want to hear from you, like, Tell us this person's story, okay. what difference you think they've made in your life and those around you. Looking forward to having that come out, and we can have you back with some of those players. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> Lastly, the first time you were on the show, when Axios SLC launched, we talked about your pomegranate tree. Yes. How'd it do? 
it did so well. I'm so happy. I'm also getting a little puckered by all of the pomegranate that I've been eating. I have like 20 pomegranates, and that's a lot of like kind of meticulous seed picking. Uh-huh. I do have like a cutting strategy that I saw and on you YouTube. Exit. That's really I saw good. the one you're talking about. It's really good. It like works. if you cut off the top of it and then follow the kind of um, partitions yeah, down channel. the side, uh-huh. then you end up, you can kind of break it apart almost like an orange and there they go. out come the seeds. It, it goes a lot faster. But yeah, it did really well, which as we talked about last time is surprising because it hasn't always been considered like a cold hardy plant for Salt Lake City. Yeah. The fact that, you know, for the past six years, it's done quite well in my yard eh, speaks to maybe that's a little warmer than it used to be. Um, yeah, it's more coverage from Axios SLC yes. on climate change. <laughs> yeah, but it also, I, I chose its site kind of specifically for that. Like, it's it's on a south-facing wall. Um, it's fairly protected from the wind. It gets a lot of sun. So there are probably things that people can play with in their garden that might have seemed like a fool's errand in the past yeah um and pomegranate appears to be one of them but you talk about it in your latest newsletter so how can people sign up where can they go go to axios.com hit the local tab at the top and you will see salt lake city pop up and you can subscribe there and i've been hearing you know since i was here last time obviously we've got a lot more subscribers we've been around way longer now um but i've been hearing a lot of good things from our readers even people that didn't want to sign up for an email because they're like oh, email mm-hmm. but like once they've signed up they're like no no i'm glad i did like hits my inbox and it's smart brevity it is smart brevity we will not insult your intelligence and we will not waste your time hey aaron alberti thanks so much for coming in look forward to having you back and bring kim bajorquez with you next time absolutely All right. Thank you so much. Thanks. So a few weeks ago, Unite.org launched a pilot project in Utah called the Dignity Index. And that is DignityIndex.us, an effort to encourage political candidates to be civil and less contempt by scoring words and messages they use. The belief is that dignity is the antidote to contempt and hate. With elections just coming up on Tuesday, the midterms, thought we'd dig into that. And joining me now, we have Tammy Pfeiffer of the Utah Pilot. How you doing? I'm fantastic today. How are you? Doing well. First, let's do a little backstory on yourself. Uh, where, where do you come from that you arrive at this moment with this Dignity Index pilot in Utah? Oh, interesting. I have been uh, in Utah for about 35 years. We've raised our family here. I most recently before coming to Unite, came from the governor's office. I was Governor Herbert's education policy advisor. And for four years before that, was on the State Board of Education. Two groups, the State Board of Education and Education Policy in the state that are so calm. <laughs> Nothing happens there. Nothing happens at school that boards would make anymore. You think, yeah, that would make you think of the idea that uh, our language makes a difference in yeah. our political discussions. But at, at the end of Governor Herbert's term, after he left, I left as well and joined this group called Unite. So Unite is a nonprofit. Mm-hmm. Tell us about its origins and its players. Because when we talk about politics and different think tanks or nonprofits come to the table to say, hey, let's let's be a little bit more civil to each other. Everyone's like, all right, who are the players in the organization. You know, I've, I've been asked that question a couple of times. Who came up with this? Who are you people? So Unite is a national nonprofit started about 2018, led by uh, a man named Tim Shriver. Tim Shriver is the chair of Special Olympics. Uh, he comes from a family that's been very involved in, in public service uh, for decades. And Tim uh, pulled together a diverse group of people to start working on solutions to this growing 
cultural divide and political divide in the country. And as that group uh, coalesced, they started working on a couple of sample projects. What could they do that would be make the biggest impact or have the biggest leverage in this in this climate? And over the course of the last couple of years, we have arrived at this project called the Dignity Index. So it's a pilot in communities, community by community, state by state. So who in the state is involved in the Dignity Index project here in Utah? So Utah is our first demonstration project state, um, and I'm leading that project in Utah. Uh, our colleague, uh, Tom Roshert, Tim Shriver and my colleague, Tom Roshert, is the project director. He lives in uh, Chevy Chase, Maryland, and so I'm directing the project from here. We, it, our board of advisors uh, includes uh, former Governor Gary Herbert. Um, we've got Pat Jones, uh, Sean Newell. We've got Rick Larson from the Sutherland Institute, Boyd Matheson, Holly Richardson, um, Let's see, who have I left off that? There's Mara, a ton. Mara Carabella. There we go, yeah. Exoro Group. Yeah, Exoro Group. And we have uh, great friends. We have Rich McKeon, who served with Governor Levitt, actually, back in Governor Levitt's days. And in, co-founder of Levitt Partners now. Co-founder of Levitt Partners, also worked with the Governor Levitt when he uh, was in D.C. in cabinet position. So we've got a, a, yeah. a, a really packed group of highly... Um, Engaged. Yeah. Uh, I, I'm trying to look for the right word. I was like, yeah. they've seen a lot politically, mm -hmm. right? And the, the, I, and the reason I'm asking this is because there's a lot of heavy hitters behind the scenes. You have a science advisory board that digs into academia from Pennsylvania State, Syracuse, Harvard, UCLA, Fordham University, University of Houston. So this Dignity Index, though, is aimed at the grassroots level mm -hmm. to engage folks on the topic of what can create meaningful engagement when it comes to politics. So describe the Dignity Index. It's a it's a measure of people's words. It's a, if you think about it, it's like an instrument, a testing instrument. And what we're doing actually is trying to validate this instrument. Uh, we've partnered with the with the University of Utah. We have people from the Kim Gardner Institute that are helping us. Natalie Gochner. Natalie Gochner, uh -huh, Jesse Graham, and a, a team of PhD level uh, research analysts that are helping us with the research involved to validate this instrument so that when I score something a three, 12 other people would score it a three at the same time, and we come yeah. up with what is uh, you know, consensus on an issue. Okay. So we've got that team, and um, I've lost track of your question. That's okay. I'm so excited about this. That's okay. So this Dignity uh, Index is scoring politicians' messaging from contempt yes. on the worst end of the scale to dignity on the highest index of the scale. And then you have eight kind of pillars, shall we so say? So levels. We have eight different levels, and, and that's where we are going. Thanks for the prompt. It's a, it's a scale from one to eight. Uh, contempt at the very lowest level, which is, you know, it escalates from violent words to violent actions. And then eight at the very top of the scale. I always like to think of Desmond Tutu is an eight, right? Uh, you know, that kind of philosophy where you, you see yourself in everyone. You see where you could have been and you are open to people and experiences and working together. And, and from one to four is really the contempt level of the scale. Mm -hmm. Five to eight is the level where we are open then to showing others dignity. One of the words I see on your website, dignityindex.us, is subtext. Mm -hmm. And the art of the message, medium is the message, however you want to go at this, there's always subtext going on. I'm looking at all of the attack ads that PACs and dark money-funded messaging is bringing into our community. 
It's very overt what those are about. The standing politicians, either incumbents or the challengers, have to have a little more tact, but tact seems to have really fallen by the wayside here in 2022. You know, I think of subtext. I also think of when I look at it to apply it to myself Mm -hmm. is mindset. You know, what is my mindset? Uh, and subtext, when we look at especially the political speech, I think you're, you're right on. But the mindset, so if, if I'm like at a level three, which honestly, I find myself going there when things get really heated in, in a particular political issue. Okay, level three so, attacks the other side's moral character, not just their capabilities or competence. Right. And so that's what the language looks like. The mindset for me, and if I am applying it to me, is... We're the good people and they're the bad people. Ah, there you go. We're responsible for all of the good things that are happening and they're responsible for all the bad things. <laughs> it's, it's not us my guy, versus it's your them. guy. And if you look at so so that's my mindset, but the mm-hmm. subtext when you look at it in the political world is Republicans I'm just gonna fill in the blank, it can go either way. Republicans are responsible for all the great things, the Democrats are responsible for all the bad things, or flip it around, you know. Uh-huh. The Republicans are the ones ruining the country, the Democrats are it's it's thus versus them. That, that divide is the divide. It's the mm-hmm. subtext. And when you have that subtext in the language and the mindset, you are at a level of contempt. So there's the dignity index that you're applying to the politicians and their messaging. But it sounds like you're also asking us, the public, to apply it to ourselves as we receive or engage or try to parse the messaging. And you mentioned at the beginning, this is a grassroots level. And if it, you, you really need to think about it as coming from the grassroots level because contempt works because the consumers of political messaging and commercials and marketing keep supporting it. We're the ones that allow it to work. Yeah. And so when we start to turn this on ourselves and just to to me and a, a friend I was talking with yesterday, it's almost an awakening. When I read that we're the good people and the bad people puts me at a three, mm. it's like, well, I don't see myself as a three. I don't say nasty things out loud to people. I don't. But, but I operate, you know, in maybe my problem solving or non-problem solving mode as this is win or lose. Yeah. One of us is going to win and one of us is going to lose. It's not really, we're not looking for compromise. Yeah. So have you applied the Dignity Index to races in Utah? Yes. And where can we see those results? So if you go to dignityindex.us, uh, first of all, please don't skim by the top the top part of our webpage, which is take the pledge. We ask people to take a pledge about treating people uh, less with contempt and more with dignity. But if you scroll down to the next section, you've got our candidate social media scores. We've got fundraising email scores, uh, third-party mailers. Um, and you can imagine what the third-party mailers look like uh, because when you get, again, that that money coming into the state for some of these races, it can be uh, pretty contemptuous. Uh-huh. Uh, but if you you know go to any of those areas on their website and you can okay. pull up a, a piece of language that we scored, you can see what the score is. And we've added uh, a little bit of a explainer yeah on why it was scored that way all right so you're 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 taking social media posts specifically in what i'm looking at at dignityindex.us and analyzing the incumbent senator mike lee as well as a challenger evan mcmullen specific posts and then explaining the score so folks you know sometimes being media literate uh, takes more than just uh listening to the messaging it takes you know some analysis 
or a moment of reflection. Is that what you're trying to get at with a dignity index? Like, okay, you heard the message over and over and over, but let's engage with this a little bit more. Right. This is when you hear this message on the face, it looks like, well, that maybe sounded like it wasn't very nice, but whatever. Then you you really get a deeper dive into it and you're going, oh, Mm. They're trying to get me to have contempt for someone else. They're trying yeah. to get me to hate that guy. It's a Pavlovian response we've developed in response to political messaging. And we've already chosen our teams for the most part. There is a group that is undecided, uh, especially in Utah with a super red state where some folks feel the only way to play is to sign up with one team. There's a, still a large group that is not affiliated with a political party. We're seeing the rise of a third party here, the United Utah Party. Um, do you think more things like the Dignity Index are necessary to break this logjam? I think it's helpful. I think it's helpful to see things a different way. I think one of the reasons um, that the race is so contentious right now is because of that swath in the middle, the undecided voters who they've not been able to poll where they're going. Yeah. And so as, as we get closer and closer to election day, I think the rhetoric ratchets up and we're trying to capture those yeah. uh, undecided voters with contempt <laughs> instead of dignity. Well, what's interesting is polling, I think, is broken down as well as um, outreach by phone because I don't answer anything I don't recognize. And if I pick up and it's a computer, I hang up. So I don't know why folks are spending all this money, because I don't think the call completion is going through. So is there a different way for campaigns to start behaving in regards to this? And do you think they will when contempt is so much easier, stickier and hookier? You know, the I think the only way that campaigns start behaving differently is if you have funders at the local or national level that starts saying, you know, I, I'm not going to donate to your campaign unless I see a five or above on the dignity scale. You know, in Ooh, my wildest dreams, that's right? That's interesting. That we become a common household name. And it's like radio stations don't mm-hmm. run ads unless you meet their minimum qualifications, which is a five or above on the dignity scale. Can they technically do that given free speech and political um uh, the laws around carry. That's a good question. That's a good question. But there should be some type of a lever. Definitely funders can. Yeah. You can. I can. I mm-hmm. can decide who I donate to. Yeah. And corporations can decide where their giving goes. And if they see people that speak with contempt on a regular basis, they can elevate that and say, sorry, we're giving to another candidate this year. Well, in closing, I want to go back to where we started and what the purpose or what success may look like for the Dignity Index in this initial pilot right here in the Beehive State. And one of your first releases was Dignity is a Path to Peace. And it is. If, if you look at the language that leads to violence, language also leads to peace. And we believe that if we can make people aware of the language of contempt, make them aware of the language of dignity, we will start to see more language of dignity. The average person like me who thinks they're doing okay, when I look at the scale, when I read what that language looks like, it has changed me. What is your message to voters as we round the corner here to election day? (laughs) Breathe and Uh, find, I would find your voice in a way that bucks the trend right now, which is this voice, growing voice of contempt. 
which, as we know, leads to political violence. And if you really want to make a difference, you could go to my website, shameless plug, and take the Dignity Pledge. And this is the pledge. It's very simple. We believe there's no America without democracy. There's no democracy without healthy debate and no healthy debate without dignity. Therefore, I pledge to do more to treat others with dignity and not with contempt. And that website is? Dignity.us or dignity.us. And that is Tammy Pfeiffer of the Dignity Index, a pilot project rating public messages from Utah's federal Senate and House races. Check tonight's show notes for a link that conversation recorded just earlier today. Stick around. We're going to talk about saving Union Station in Ogden next. Support for KRCL comes from Mark Miller Subaru and the Subaru Love Promise, a partnership with local nonprofit organizations to support and strengthen our community. Now accepting applications for 2023 nonprofit partnerships. More information on Mark Miller Subaru's Love Promise and application process at markmillersubaru.com. It was a song came on the radio, a guitar instrumental, and it changed everything. Music Meets Movies continues Thursday, November 10th with award-winning film Rumble, The Indians Who Rock the World. Rumble is a documentary about the far too often overlooked influence indigenous musicians had and still have on popular music in North America. Figuring out that these people were Indians, and then we started to ask ourselves, why didn't anyone else know that? From Charlie Patton to Link Ray, Robbie Robinson invented the genre. Jimmy Hendrix is the best in his field. Jesse Davis, everybody wanted him. Well, that's interesting, isn't it? Rumble, the Indians who rock the world November 10th at Bruby's in Salt Lake. One screening only. Tickets at the door at 6.30 p.m. Movie at 7.30 p.m. And Dave John and me, Valiant MC, will be there. More information at krcl.org. And Valine and Dave want you to wear your Living the Circle of Life shirts if that's what you picked as your thank you gift during Fall Radiothon. And I think there are a few left if you go to krcl.org and hit that big orange donate button in the corner. I'm Laura Jones. Coming up at 7, it's Democracy Now!, followed by Thursday Night Psych with DJ Mike at 8, The Dirty Boulevard with Gianni at 10.30, Rich and I Don't Sound Like Nobody at 1, Illustrated Blues with Jolene at 3 a.m., and then John Florence getting your brand new day started for a Friday at 6 a.m. All right, for the rest of the show, we're going to talk about a train station, in particular Union Station up in Ogden. Gutting or restoring rumors about Union Station cause uproar is the headline from the Standard Examiner just a couple weeks back. And joining us to talk about it, we have two guests in the studio, Steve Jones. Hi, Steve. Hello. Oh, sorry, I forgot to get the right mic. I'm so embarrassed. Thank you for having me. (laughs) Absolutely. You're chairman of the Golden Spike Railroad Historical Society and part of the Facebook group to save Union Station in Ogden. We also have with us Penny Allred Daly, owner of the Two Bit Street Cafe on Historic 25th Street in Ogden. Hi, Penny. Hi. Thanks for coming down. Thank you. And I thought we'd start with maybe the two of you telling us our listeners a bit more about yourself and why this issue matters to you and how you're connected to the station. I'm hoping you can paint a vivid picture for us, Steve. We'll give it a try. So in about 2003, uh, my wife had a job offer here in Ogden and I had just formed our company the S4 group Um, and it really didn't matter where I was as long as we had a a a good internet connection yeah and a a good regional airport nearby 
So for a change, I followed my wife, Nancy, to Ogden. Good on you. And, you know, we had previously been in Milwaukee, and we moved to Milwaukee from the Washington, D.C. area. Mm-hmm. And in D.C., you, know, you felt like you had to always be looking over your shoulder. Okay. Okay. You know, who do you trust? Um, who's on your side? And that can change from day to day. Mm-hmm. When I moved to Milwaukee, um, I fell in love with it. Mm-hmm. it. It was very much an environment where you felt like you could do business on a handshake. Okay. And that people were going to be truthful with you. And if they had a concern, they were going to tell you. And that's okay, too. So the first weekend that I got here, um, you know, Nancy told me, you're going to have a surprise. Well, it was the Hostler's Model Railroad Festival at Union Station in Ogden. And I had doubts about moving to Utah. Um, that changed those doubts completely. You're a train ophile? Uh, yes, <laughs> yes, absolutely. Very soon after you know, we got established here and so forth, I started investigating you know, what other things were going on in the, in the train world. And I found a group in Ogden that was r- restoring a DNRGW locomotive, number 223. Um, the locomotive had sat in a park in Salt Lake City for many years. And then it was moved to the uh, Rio Grande Depot. Is that the big black one that used to be at uh, Pioneer Park, I think? It, pr- it probably I is. I think it is. Yep, yep. Yeah. And, and so uh, basically I got hooked. Yeah. You know, Trains do that to folks. They, they do. They do. And, you know, with the amount of time that I spend in the, in the business, I really just wanted an outlet. Yeah. Saturday mornings, go get my hands dirty, and so on and so forth. So they twisted my arm a little bit mm-hmm. and said, uh, would you be vice president? Oh, you don't have to do anything. Just maybe <laughs> occasionally when the president can't, can't hold a meeting. Uh, you could step in for them. That's how they get you, Steve. Well, I, it got me hook, line, and sinker. Yeah. Eventually, I came, became chairman of the group, and uh, just my involvement got deeper and deeper. Um, I got uh, involved with the Union Station Foundation um, and uh, became a member of that board, mm-hmm. and it just kept growing. So uh, the Union Station in Ogden, it's over 100 years old. It's on the National Historic uh, Register of Historic Places. The city owns the building, but Union Pacific owns the land, is what you have told me. That is correct. Okay. And inside Union Station are a bunch of fantastic exhibits. That oh, yeah. Have gone in here and there over the years, added to... Um, more put in there. It's there's trains, there's cowboys, there's cars, there's all sorts of things. There's the Browning yes. Gun Museum. That's right. Mm-hmm. The Gun Museum yep, is fabulous. Yep. Yep. Yeah. And that's where I mean, most of those museums are world class. And who owns all the uh, are the items in the museum? With the exception of the Cowboy and Western Heritage Museum, mm-hmm. all the artifacts are owned by Ogden City. Okay. Does that okay. include the guns? Yes. Okay. Yes. All right, so Penny, by way of getting to you and your place there on 25th Street, up in Ogden, there's a whole push to revitalize and invest a lot of money um, in downtown Ogden. It's called the Wonder Block. There's a lot of documents online. They've been doing a lot of community outreach. There's a lot of talk about um, 
getting to the unlocking the potential of the rail yards behind Union Station. Mm -hmm. Well, you have had your cafe on 25th Street, the two-bit street cafe. Uh, it's maybe the first restaurant if you step outside of the train station and come up 25th mm -hmm. Street, right? Yes. Yeah. Um, which would be a great place if there's this museum where lots of people come. It's known around the country. Mm -hmm. And you've been there for about 20 years. How has business ebbed and flowed? And then let's get to what's going on. Oh, well, that's interesting. When I, I'm an Ogden native, grew up here. I escaped <laughs> uh, when I was about 19 and, and uh, you know, and I've lived other places, but, you know, Utah was always my home. And then I lived in Salt Lake um, up until about 2002. And then my parents, well, my, my father had passed. My mother was elderly. And my husband and I um, decided it was time to come home to Ogden. Mm -hmm. And um, we opened the cafe um, in 2003. Uh, to me, uh, 25th Street was the only place that was really had anything happening. What does it look like for folks who have not been there? Because there's been money invested in its character over the years. Oh, yes. I mean, they, they've, they've done a lot of good things, but also some questionable things okay. and it has a Mayberry feel if you close your eyes and just focused it, on that street right? yeah well we were voted uh what 10 best historic streets I think so in yes. in uh in America mm -hmm. at one point and it's charming it's quaint it still has a some of the original architecture right. like I am very fortunate our building is historic our building is way over a hundred years old it has all the original woodwork and bar and it's beautiful and I get so many comments on that because we've kept it intact yeah. um, but there is also a lot of newer establishments on the street they always seem to be trying to give it a facelift trying to revitalize it um, a lot of it, I think, has been short-sighted. They just throw money and hope it sticks, I guess. And more money means more investment means more yes. people might come. Yes. And um, Union Station has always, to me, been the anchor of the street. Yeah. And, you know, I never was as uh, aware of that and as appreciative of Union Station as I was um, in 2019. Teen, when we had the sesquicentennial mm -hmm. and you know we had people come into our restaurant from all over the world yeah. and from all over the country and to see to, and they would come into our restaurant and it was like a party was going on the yeah. whole like 10 days that they were here and I had, you know, Germans drinking beer, you know, at the bar and this person <laughs> over here laughing and they were all sharing train stories and how much it brought those people together. Yeah. And it was amazing to me. And, you know, it, to me, Union Station is the heart and soul of Ogden. Okay. It always has been. And I think our current... Um, people in power or whatever you want to call them, elected officials, uh -huh. um, don't seem to really get that. Well, according to Brandon Cooper, Ogden City's Director of Community Economic Development, as reported by Deborah Wilbur in the Standard Examiner, he says the city wants to emphasize the museums while restoring features of the historic Union Station building that have been changed over the years. What are your thoughts on that? Because you went to a city council meeting just this week, right, Steve? Yes, absolutely. And 
you know, I am sure that city council has been monitoring the Facebook group. Um, you know, what, what we observed on the surface was the uh, city council and the city administration were 100% behind the plans that they've been talking about. Okay. Okay. What you saw in body language meant maybe some of them had some concerns. Mm. And that's what we're going to that's what we're trying to to do. We're on the Facebook group. We're trying to monitor it very closely, make sure that factual information gets out there, uh, encouraging people to uh, comment on the on the facts that are published and do it in a way that they don't have to be afraid of being intimidated. Um, because that was one of the problems that we've seen with uh, a lot of the docents at the uh, Union Station. You know, if in fact they didn't agree with the direction that the city was taking things, uh, they were chastised. They were sometimes fired. Well, one of them in this story, and the standard examiner says they were, they had to sign a non-disclosure agreement. Yes. About anything they knew, and this person said, uh huh. Uh-uh. I'm going to speak up. What are your concerns? Because Ogden has responsibility for these exhibits, all these items that have been donated, right? Right, absolutely. And in fact, Ogden Union Station was designated the State Railroad Museum uh, many years ago. Well, unfortunately, that has been a designation, a ceremonial name. No money. No no (laughs) money came along with it. Um, And in fact... You know, it was treated as the state, state Railroad Museum only when it was convenient to do that. When we have the Golden Spike Yeah, uh, and, and in fact, yes, absolutely. And I apologize. I, I jumped on your That's okay. discussion here. Um, the Golden Spike was the 150th anniversary yeah. of the driving the Golden Spike. And in fact, that showed, it should have showed our administration what the potential for Ogden was yeah to make I mean, this this cultural focal point oh i mean we had thousands and thousands of people from all over the world descended upon ogden and of course the focal point was the celebration of the, the driving of the golden spike it was done here in ogden because there are no longer railroad tracks that can get you to promontory summit where where the original uh driving of the golden spike happened so you know, the, the ceremonies with the trains, the reenactment of the driving of the Golden Spike ha- happened in Ogden. And just the pull through of yeah. opportunity for the restaurants and the businesses on 25th Street was phenomenal. Tell us about that, Penny. You were saying you had all sorts oh, of folks yes. from around the globe. Yeah, and it was it was it was lovely. I I thoroughly enjoyed it. And it brought so much business to our cafe and even on a daily basis um, a lot of the docents that that you know volunteers one of which quit today by the way quit before she was fired um, she came in to see me and had to share Um, at any rate um, so the on a daily basis a lot of these volunteers would say to people you know they're Hey, why don't you go check out 25th Street? There's a lot of cool shops, a lot of nice places places to eat, and people would do that and then come back and finish their tour up. 
And so it has driven business from Union Station, you know, down 25th Street. Mm -hmm. And, you know, one of my objections with the proposal, first of all, and I'm sure Steve will go into greater detail, is they want to take all of the, you know, artifacts out of the museum before there's another place to house them. Yeah. And a lot of these are are antiques or are very fragile. Uh, Trying to, you know, pack them, it's a nightmare. nightmare. And how to pay for that if there's been no money for it as the state's designated train uh, museum. Exactly. And and, and they keep saying, if funding permits, Mm. they will do, if funding permits. Well, you got to have the funding yeah. B- before. You want the commitment, period. Yeah, yeah, and and it's like they're they're putting the cart before the horse here, you know. Right, absolutely, and you know the uh, what they talked about was um, take taking the exhibits that exist, if you will, putting them in mothballs for a while. They mm-hmm. really don't go into details of how they're going to protect it, and are they going to catalog it, and mm-hmm. so on and so forth. Um, that's one of the problems. The details are not being shared. No. Uh, if you look at the Make Ogden plan. You know, it has some very good concepts in it. Yeah. Okay. But, you know, they're not in enough detail that you could take that plan and say, I'm going to execute this. Uh, because it doesn't really tell you, you know, what's there, uh, what they're going to save, what they're going to change, um, what they're going to enhance. Uh, that all should be a plan up front. In the meantime, you're concerned that maybe some of the actions of the city are painting a picture of um, draw that you don't feel is really truthful. Right. So right. explain that a bit more, Steve. There's been a lot of different projects around town where the best way I can explain it is Ogden City wants to act as a developer. And so um, they're very quick to go and knock down a building. And after the building is knocked down, it's a piece of raw property. They try try at that point to ha- to have it developed. Um, mm-hmm. You know, there's multiple multiple instances where you know they've invested money into one of these projects, and the developer didn't produce. Mm-hmm. So they just walk away from it. The city is out the money. We've seen some of that happen in Salt Lake, especially as uh, the recessions come around. Sure, downturn in the economy, COVID. But you're talking uh, they're restricting hours at the museum. I, absolutely, you know, um, you know. As Penny talked about, the, the Union Station is a magnet, okay, for for getting people to Ogden. Um, and when you say that, it's not only the restaurants. If they come in and stay for a couple days, uh, they're going to stay at the hotels and use all the services and so forth that we have mm-hmm. um, during the ski season. Uh, you know, it's tremendous. We, yeah. You know, the, the ski resort is a huge draw. But, you know, if, if Union Station were properly managed, uh, it would also be a huge draw. You know, pe- families come in and maybe not everyone wants to go skiing. So there's another major attraction here that would attract them. Uh, I believe the museums are only open, is it three days a week, Penny? I think so. Do you remember? I think so. So, you know, that's just not... You don't feel it's a... a as a result of COVID and oh, our no, economy where they do. can't get uh, volunteers or no. employees? They've been systematically driving the volunteers out. Okay. Okay. Uh, 
Well, you let that volunteer that talked to you today know and come down and talk on the show anytime. Mm-hmm. Okay, Penny? I, am, I tried to get her to come with me. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So. All right. Well, so what is it you want folks listening to know or to do? You've got this Facebook group. Is there a timeline or a meeting coming up that they need to have on the, the radar? I would uh, encourage people to go to Facebook and do, do a search for Save Union Station in Ogden as, as a Facebook group. Um, we're trying to be very diligent about reading everything that gets posted there, doing fact-checking and making sure that, in fact, we're getting good information out there, uh, and information that you know could be actionable once, once yeah. the, the thing yeah. matures. And basically, we're, we're getting the community involved. And, and the community has been involved since the museums at Union Station was founded in 1978. You know, we, the museums had a very, very active conductors organization mm-hmm. um, along the way. The conductors were their pet name, if you will, for the docents. Okay. Okay. And, you know, it w- that was a very, very active group. Along the way, it was shut down because, uh, you know, the management did not have complete control over those people. And so they basically pushed a a bunch of those people out and started um, soliciting for their own volunteers. And and I'm I'm also concerned as a business owner. You know, first of all, you know, we haven't addressed the parking issue, and the parking is a nightmare now. And now they want to switch to charging for parking. Oh, absolutely. I remember back in 2019 having a very long conversation with Tom Christopoulos about that. Um, and he says, the days of free parking in Ogden are soon over. Mm. Um, but my also, you know, I don't know exactly what their plans for the restaurants and the retail are in Union Station. And I'm not saying it doesn't need a bit of a facelift, but I'm a, I've, I've been there for 20 years, and I don't want to see them add in, you know, no offense to like Pottery Barn, but you know, <laughs> is, say all these retail and chain restaurants that you can go to any city you, mm. USA. The flavor of Ogden you feel is derived in no small part from Union Station. Absolutely. Yes, and, and it's local, and it's mom and pops, and it's it's you know local business owners. It's history. It's history. Let me let me make a comment here because I see we're getting close to the end of time. Uh, Union Station is a national treasure it is not just a a sleepy little museum that the city of ogden happens to own people come from all over the world to see what is there and and experience you know what all the museums have to offer so it really needs to be treated like that treasure that it is and it can be a huge uh, incubator for driving growth all over Ogden. Uh, it's not being treated that way. Thank you so much for coming in and getting it on the radar here at Radio- Radioactive. Please keep in touch. Happy to have you back, bringing more people to talk about this. So it's Save Union Station in Ogden, a Facebook group. And uh, also, Penny, what's the address there of the 2-Bit Cafe? 126 25th Street. All right. Thank you so much for coming in. It was a pleasure. And uh, I, I wish I had a train uh, sound for you, but... Choo-choo. <laughs> that is our show. My thanks to all of our guests. Tomorrow night, more true tales from the agri with Al Dine, KRCL's punk rock farmer. 
alongside me, and we're going to have the Green Urban Lunchbox talking cider season, many cultures, one sky with Skywatcher Leo T, and uh, John Borski from Borski Farms for the Urban Farm Report, plus fresh homegrown music from English budgies. I'm Laura Jones. Thanks for plugging into your community with Radioactive. Democracy Now! is next. Have a great night. KRCL, Salt Lake City. KRCL is supported by Sustainers and Kevin Coyle of SLC Homes, providing buyer representation for residential real estate buyers throughout Salt Lake. Additional information can be found online at slchomes.com.